Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. It's day two of MIPCOM 2019 and we're coming to you again from Cannes, where Europe's biggest TV market is in full swing. In a moment, we'll be hearing from Darren Starr, creator of Beverly Hills 90210, Melrose Place, Sex and the City and Younger, about his new series Emily in Paris, and from Max Cons, the chief executive of Germany's ProSieben Satines, about the reasons for putting production and distribution division Red Arrow Studios under review. But first, a rundown of some of the news from MIPCOM Day 1. While much of the talk here in Cannes is about the US studios taking back rights to shows for their own streaming services, C21 revealed that Sony Pictures Entertainment will be taking Netflix original drama The Crown out for distribution in the linear TV market soon. Sony, which owns the Crown producer Left Bank Pictures, will offer the series for global syndication in the not-too-distant future, according to President of Worldwide Distribution Keith Legoy, who spoke to C21 for our Global Distribution Trends Report ahead of MIPCOM. Germany's beta film announced it's taking a majority stake in Fisher King, a Finnish producer behind such shows as fantasy drama Nymphs and Nordic noir thriller Border Town. The move will see the creation of Beta Nordic Studios, which will house the business alongside Dramacore, the Sweden-based studio known for Midnight Sun and new drama Agent Hamilton, which premiered in the Palais here on Sunday evening. Survivalist Bear Grylls and TV producer Delbert Schupman joined forces with Banerjee Group to launch their own production company. The Natural Studios will focus on adventure and film TV projects for multiple platforms, with Grylls and Schupman serving as co-CEOs, and Banerjee acting as production and distribution partner. France's Lagardère Studios, meanwhile, took full control of Barcelona-based production company Veranda, a factual and fiction outfit in which it previously held a minority share. Lagardère already owns Spain's Boomerang Group, but said the buyout of the Catalonian company would help further consolidate its European presence. For more on all those stories and plenty of others from MIPCOM 2019, visit c21media.net. Coming up in a moment, Sex and the City creator Darren Starr. But first, among the major stories at MIPCOM this year is the future of Germany's Red Arrow Studios, part of media giant ProSieben Sat 1. The company last month tapped US investment bank Morgan Stanley to find potential buyers for Red Arrow, which houses 20 production companies across seven territories, including 11 based in the US and three in the UK. It's business as usual at MIP for the distribution arm, whose titles include Bosch, Married at First Sight, Carnivore Challenge Format, Meet the Family, and Chilean Co-Pro Dignity, a debut original drama for Pro Sieben's new VOD joint venture with Discovery called Join. I spoke with Pro Sieben Satine's CEO, Max Cons, and asked him to explain the company's latest moves. Pro Sieben Satine's one of the Germany's and Europe's leading both entertainment but also uh, commerce networks and uh, one of the things we've been very focused on is how we can take that strength of creating fantastic entertainment for 60 million Germans every week into the digital world and so uh, two and a half or three months ago we launched a streaming platform called Join. Join is, is first is a 50-50 joint venture that we're doing together with uh, Discovery which is a great partnership and uh, you know, the lens that we have taken is that th there's still a huge gap in the German market for someone to 
create one hub focused first on free where you can access all the entertainment and all the channels uh, that you love. And so, so if you look at Join, um, you know, it's a very simple, very sleek app. You know, right now, for example, it links to voice, which just happens to be running in our programs. You know, there's comedy and other originals. There's, uh, you know, seven days previewing, there's post viewing, there's about 20,000 hours of content. And then what I really like best is if you go on live TV, there's 55 channels, not just our own. And what I just did, you know, with two swipes of a finger, which just get you into, this is, happens to be RD, get you into the live stream, you know, of one of the top channels in Germany, and you can't do this anywhere else at this level of simplicity and convenience. And so that's a very important starting point for us. You know, we're now, of course, also working on uh, expanding into a premium layer. We're adding more functionality, more customization, more locality. Um, and we're off to a good start, 4 million plus app downloads, 4.5 million monthly active users, um, which uh, you know, is not bad for having launched just this summer. And um, you're launching into a marketplace which is, like many countries around the world, is, is having to adapt to the arrival of uh, streaming services from other countries. Yeah, I, I, you know, at the end I have a reasonably simple thesis of you know, how we both have won historically, but how we need to win going forward. And that is number one, really double down on, you know, local, more live, more sticky content. And so we're investing in big entertainment franchises. We just did The Masked Singer this summer. Uh, you know, we had 50 plus percent viewer share uh, in the finale, that's 11 million people. You know, if you if you were to scale Germany to the size of the U.S., that would be an audience of 60 million people in the U.S., and that only happens once a year at Super Bowl. So, so that huge convening power that broadcast infrastructures offer is anything but dead. But of course, you know, we need to be very differentiated to streaming offerings. So we're doing that in entertainment. We're doing that in magazines. We're doing that in comedy. We're doing that by going more live. We're doing that by trying out and daring to do new things. Number one. Number two, I showed you join, is I think really to become agnostic and offer everything that we do to our viewers wherever they want it and however they want it. And then three, that of course offers the opportunity to take the advertising inventories that we have and make those more targetable and addressable. And by the way, that's a win for viewers and for advertisers, no? Because I can push advertising your way that's more relevant, meaningful and interesting to you. And of course for advertisers, uh, you know, gives them an ability uh, to address audiences in, in a much more targeted way. Very meaningful in a market like Germany, where on linear signals, uh, for example, are not allowed to do local or regional advertising. You are doing more and more original production for your own uh, services for, for yeah. Join is moving into that direction as well. Just talk a little bit about that strategy. Well, so we've, you know, we launched Join with Jerks, which, you know, is now in its uh, third season. You know, just again won the best comedy prizes in Germany and, and I think is the iconic, you know, quite cutting edge, quirky comedy in the German market today. Um, you, you know, we are, uh, you know, we're, we're in the midst of uh, rolling through another uh, comedy format called Frau Jordan. We have another one coming with one of our big 
uh, stars called uh, Check Check. So, so, so you know, virtually every month we're rolling out, uh, you know, unique, specific German original productions, and you know, a lot of them are cutting edge, you know, with a bit of a tilted humor. Um, and uh, that's really good fun and enjoyable. But we're also looking at the global space, um, you know, and we're, uh, you know, we're in Cannes, we're, you know, in Red Arrow Studios, which is, you know, our global content production unit. Um, and for example, they are the uh, distributors of Dignity, and we're bringing Dignity as an original onto Join, and it's a fascinating story. Um, you know, of this uh, post-World War II sect in Chile, you know, they're all ex-Nazis and, you know, the story unfolds and how they, uh, you know, how a band flee from that environment and, you know, it's a wonderfully exciting story and we're bringing that to join audiences in Germany later this year. Right now we're sort of waiting for the arrival of Disney+, Plus, yeah. HBO Max, Peacock, the big US studios are beginning to rein in rights to their own programs uh, for, for their own streaming services. I guess the international market is waiting to see whether those shows are still going to be available to, to international buyers. What impact do you think that that, that sort of uh, trend well, is going to have? Yes, yeah, so I, I have a few views. I mean, one, look, I, I think it's an incredibly exciting time in entertainment and exciting time for viewers because there's more great content and more shows being offered and coming alive. Uh, number one. Number two, you know, I think we are very focused doing something that's different to what, say, a Netflix or so offers, no? which is we're local, we're deeply relevant, uh, we're news, we're big entertainment, we're sports, you know, so we're doing all the things that I think we have unique strengths in and we're expanding that strength uh, into the digital space. Yes, you are right. Um, that I think what content is being made available and what is being used by players in their own platforms is shifting a bit. It's not much of a worry for us because we are shifting as well. We're producing more for ourselves. And at the same point in time, we still have excellent relationships uh, you know, with our friends at Warner and other places that are complementing that uh, you know, with feeds of some of the great entertainment offering that they are creating. At a time where it seems that uh, studios, vertically in integrated businesses are keeping more of their content in-house. Why does it make sense now to put Red Arrow Studios under a, a strategic review? Well, it's first of all, I love Red Arrow Studios uh, as a business and I love the production firms that we have within because they make wonderful things, you know, from Bosch to Vienna Blatt to Marriott Versailles to, I commented on Dignity earlier, um, and, and it's a great business, in great shape, having a fantastic year growing, you know, somewhere about 20% in revenue and 20% in profit terms. Um, now, it, it's not terribly synergistic to our German entertainment footprint. So it's a wonderful business, but, you know, vertical integration is a little bit more of a theory than a reality. And, um, and so what we're looking at is whether it's more sensible for us to take the international portion of Red Arrow Studios. So we are certainly doubling down on German content production capabilities and we're doubling down on digital content capabilities. But whether, you know, it's more sensible to look at the international portion of that business and whether, you know, there's an opportunity to partner at a strategic level, uh, whether because there's a lot of interest in that space, uh, you know, it is worthy for us to think about 
selling it, but you know we're, we're looking at it. We're looking at it very relaxed. I'm very happy to continue to uh, run this business for a couple of years to come. But I think it's you know it's a unique moment in time, and I will say that we have received huge interest globally from big European, big American strategic and capital players. Um, who I think recognize that this is a very unique asset, doesn't come on the market very often and are interested uh, to explore. So let's see what happens. But does that suggest that at a time when the television business is becoming more international in approach, you're taking a more insular uh, strategy? No, we're not taking an insular strategy, but we are very focused uh, you know, in being more local in Germany. I think that is true. Um, and, and I think that is right because that's where we have unique strength. You know, we do entertainment for 60 million Germans every week. By the way, you, you know, we have a, a huge portfolio of e-commerce and platform assets. You know, number one in matchmaking, number one in experiences, number two beauty e-commerce. You, you know, that is providing services and products for 15 to 20 million Germans. And what I'm really looking to do is to sharpen and strengthen that ecosystem all built around the German consumer. By all means, there are also globalization and expansion opportunities within this, but I think for the time being, for us to double down on what we're really great at, which is to understand, to then offer and entertain German consumers is a good strategy for us. You have a broader range of assets, like, like you say, both in linear and in, in the digital sphere. Do you um, foresee an inflection point where you become a, a, a predominantly digital business? Yeah, I, I, look, I think it's a good question. Here's the best view that I could give you. It's a snapshot, but I think it's indicative of what we're becoming. If you look in our Q2 results, you know, 50% of our business is TV advertising, 50% is everything else, which is predominantly digital business. So it's either digital uh, entertainment or it's digital commerce and platform businesses. And yes, there's a bit of content and other things mixed in as well. So, you know, so we're kind of at a 50-50 balance. The TV advertising business is declining minus 3% because it's structurally challenged. Everything else is growing plus 12%. And I, I think that's a good indicator of where our journey is going, where yes, I think over time we will be, you know, significantly less dependent on the TV advertising business. But I think that business will still be around. By the way, I think that business will be healthy in the future, maybe rebalanced a bit, but healthy in the future, but then mixed into a company that I think, you know, will be 50, then 60, then 70% digital if one takes a view over the next two, three, four, five years. With all of the changes that are taking place in the business, what value does a market like MIPCOM uh, still have for you and, and how do you see such markets evolving and your relationships with them moving forwards? Well, I'm so one, this is a new experience for me <laughs> because I've been CEO of Prozeben for 15 months. It's the first time that I'm in Midcom. But, you know, I, I certainly enjoy the opportunity to connect across the industry to thought exchange of where we think our future is going. And, you know, we have every partner that we do business and have relationships here in one place, whether that is people that we co-produce with people, uh, that we buy in content, people that we sell content to, and you know, and I think it's it's good, healthy, and helpful um, for everyone to come together and, and kind of intermingle and see where uh, you know we can realize more opportunities together. And in many ways, I think the world we're in 
partnering as a theme overall, I think, is becoming more and more important. And, you know, we're doing that, whether it's with Discovery on Join, whether it's with Airtel, where we are now running a joint advertising technology company. Uh, and we're having lots of discussions with players here on how we partner to conquer what I think is a very exciting, not unchallenged, but I think very exciting future. Final question, but I mean, presumably the main focus here is Red Arrow as a, as a business being presented as a sale opportunity, not so much the programs. I mean, this time next year, there's a, a possibility, I suppose, that, that uh, Red Arrow Studios might not have a presence. Well, look, I'm, we're in the Red Arrow Studio stand, and, you know, we are surrounded by people that are, uh, you know, having wonderfully exciting discussions around great programs that we're doing. You know, I, I think that is completely unaffected by, you, you know, us having a view kind of what is a strategic partnering and ownership lens going forward. And, you know, I think we need to evade that process to be able, uh, you know, to see what the future brings. Max Cons from Proceb and Satines. Now, Darren Starr is the creator of series including Younger, now moving into its seventh season on Viacom's TV Land, and before that, hits including Beverly Hills 90210, Melrose Place and Sex and the City. He's currently in France shooting his new series, Emily in Paris, for Paramount Network, and is here in Cannes delivering a keynote this afternoon. But I caught up with him yesterday to talk about his latest project. It's a show that, it's an idea that I've had in mind for for uh, quite some time. I've spent a lot of time in Paris, had this, the, some of the experiences that Emily is having, being a little bit of an expatriate um, in Paris, but not having, I've never actually lived there. So I would say for me, the experience of doing this series, filming in France, filming in Paris, and living here is sort of kind of mirroring what the character on the show is going through. Um, but I think TV has changed so much now that I, th I think people want to be taken out of there. I mean, you can really have a cinematic experience on television, which this series is. I mean, it completely filmed the entire show in Paris and in France. And uh, I don't think that kind of opportunity existed in the past. Tell us a bit more about the character and, and, and how the story, I guess, um, fits in with your previous body of, of work. Lily Collins plays a Midwestern girl who becomes a bit of a fish out of water when she's sent to Paris to work for a small luxury goods marketing firm. And she's a bit unprepared for her experience there. She doesn't speak French. It's not really her area of expertise. So it becomes a bit of a cultural clash. But also um, this... Uh, re kind of like a coming of age story um, for her and I think that it's uh, I think a, I think certainly in the States we've always had this bit of this sort of romantic fantasy about Paris it's something that uh, I explored we explored a little bit in, on Sex in the City we had the last couple episodes were shot there so even at that time I was sort of thinking wow wouldn't it be nice to do a series here um, and and like every show I think it you know, I tried to bring some of my own experience into the, in, try to relate to the character, and I've certainly spent a lot of time over the years in Paris bungling the language and um, trying to figure out my way around, like, the different cultural norms, and I think that's something this character is going to be doing as well, while at the same time kind of making a, a group of French and expatriate friends um, 
think if there's a similarity that I can find between this show and some of the other shows that I've done, it's the idea that we kind of create a family wherever we are, and this is a character who has to create um, a family of, who does create a family of um, people who are quite different than she is, and um, and and I think is it really grows through the experience of living abroad. You, you talked about uh, earlier about how the TV business has changed so much during your your prolific career, but uh, the fact that you're you're now basing a show in Paris, I mean, is that also symptomatic of the fact that the the industry is becoming more international? That uh, someone who's always worked in the U.S. such as yourself and created such great shows there now wants to do something overseas? Well, I do think the industry has become more international. I think the the audience for a series has become international and more sophisticated. I mean, I think the advantage of always working in the United States is that our shows traveled internationally, so we could do local shows that became international. In this sense, it's kind of turning the formula on its head, um, which is it's an international show that people are going to be watching in the States, but I think it's going to have international appeal. But it's an American, it definitely is for, I think first and foremost, for an American audience, because I can't write a show for it. I'm American, so that's the audience I write for. Um, but I think it's going to have broad appeal because I think it's very universal. I think we're all people that everybody can relate to the experience of moving to another city and living somewhere else and having to start over again. And I think this show sort of taps into that in, in really a fun and glamorous way because it's set in Paris. But I think that people are, even in the, within the United States, we're always moving to other cities to have, have careers and relationships and, um, and and I think this is a girl who leaves a lot behind to uh, move to Paris and is very challenged by um, by the experience of being there. Uh, within the context I guess of the sort of the broader changes that are taking place in, in the market, the streaming uh, story which is kind of enveloping the, the industry at the moment, um, perhaps you could share some of your thoughts on that and how the particularly at this time, the studio system seems to be uh, kind of fighting back, as it were, against the, the global streamers that have uh, upset the market. I think um, the sort of rise of all the streaming networks just creates tremendous opportunities for the audience and for show creators. And I think that TV is sort of more exciting than it ever has been. And the idea of what makes a show has, has expanded and what a show can be. Uh, I think when I started out working in television with really four networks, Fox was the upstart network. Um, there was still the idea that you had to reach a, a really broad demographic for a show to be successful and the metrics of what made a show successful sort of counted out a lot of um, prohibited a lot of more interesting shows from sort of breaking through. Uh, I think when I did Sex and the City at HBO, because HBO was subscription-based, it wasn't about ratings, but more about the kind of noise you made. Uh, that, uh, that was a really great change for me because I was able to do a show where the uh, criteria wasn't about ratings, but was more about just quality. And I think now with the streamers, it's more about the noise that a show makes when it comes on the air, the metrics of success are very different. And a show doesn't have to last 100 episodes to be successful because that's not the financial model anymore. And I think it opens the door 
for much more interesting product. Darren Starr talking with me at MIPCOM yesterday for a C21 TV video interview, the full version of which you'll be able to watch on our site soon. Stay tuned to C21 for that. For more from the podcast and for all the stories coming out of MIPCOM this week, that's all we have time for in this episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>